The first few games of the in-season tournament are in. We're also going to do a deep dive on the Milwaukee Bucks. They've kind of been fascinating me. The discourse around that team has been a little kind of all over the place. We're doing a deep dive into them to see what's going on. Let's get into foul trouble. Knockout games one and two are in the books. We are here. We got some awesome basketball last night at some just like great vibes, great environments. Uh, where do you want to start? Let's start with the East. The Pacers defeated the Boston Celtics 122 to 112. Um, obviously, the biggest takeaway from this game, I think for you, for me, for everybody watching, Halliburton is here. He's him. He's his majesty. He's the holy one. I mean, I don't know where you want to go with Halliburton. but Tyrese Halliburton has arrived, and that's all that really matters. Are you aware of the kind of like the like background of just like that game? Do you know how many TNT games Tyrese Halliburton had played in in his, in his career before yesterday? One. Yep. Yeah. And then, so this was like hit Tyrese Halliburton's like big chance to like really establish himself on a huge national stage. And the environment couldn't have been more amazing. Like Indiana, one of our great basketball loving states. And they, they brought it for, for a game against a super dominant Celtics team. Um, it was really back and forth the entire way through. And then he hit the shot of the night. If you haven't seen it, um, Halliburton shot a, a three that he got fouled on by uh, Jalen Brown, nailed the three. The Pacers went up four, and that was pretty much the game. Yeah, that shot happened with about a minute and a half left in the game. I had that written down as well. Um yeah, I think that the crazy thing about the uh, game was like, I was just, you know, watching it on the couch. It was a lot of fun when the broadcasters were like, I think Halliburton needs to be more aggressive here in the second half. And the third quarter starts and Halliburton is like, lay up, three-pointer, just absolutely decimating the Celtics. And I think it's it's kind of funny because he has such a wonky game, right? His three-point shot, it looks more like a push shot than a proper jump shot. <laughs> like, he's kind of tall, but like to the point where it's a little lanky and awkward, but man, he is good. Yeah. He looked like the best player on the court in a game where Jason Tatum was playing. Absolutely. And, like, not a terrible game from Jason Tatum. But, um, th- I mean, that just showed, like, the how deep the Pacers roster was. I think um, Rick Carlisle was kind of in his coaching bag throughout. It When you look at the stats, it's not really a game that, like, if I just showed you, like, the rebounding numbers, the turnover numbers, like, you're, you're going to assume that the Celtics ended up winning that game. But it, it was really on the back of Halliburton all the way through. He had his first career triple-double last night, which is like an awesome milestone. I mean, I, I really think Halliburton is putting his name in the ring. And for me, I, I got to give it to him. I think he's the best guard in the Eastern Conference right now. He might be. He might be. Yeah, I guess a lot of the best guards are are in the West right now. I mean, we're going to talk about the Bucks later. I think Damian Lillard might have something to say about it. Absolutely. Um, I, I, talking Celtics real quick. I mean, obviously, I think the Celtics were big favorites in this game. I texted you about this. We talked a little about it before the pod. But, man, the Celtics are up by like eight or nine. And then they run this lineup where it's like Jalen Brown, Hauser, Pritchard. I think Drew comes in a little bit later. And that lineup kind of like lost the Celtics the game. It kind of went from Pacers down like eight to like Pacers up eight. Um, 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. What did you think about kind of Boston's rotations in that game? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough without Kristaps. Like the the Celtics won the rebounding battle uh, pretty handedly in the game, but not in a way that it swayed it. And I think when they went to that lineup, that's when they started playing pacer ball. And you cannot play pacer ball with the Pacers or they're just going to jam the ball down your throat. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't love that, but the, the Celtics are still getting healthy and I mean, I guess they didn't need this game, but, uh, it, it, I, I think, I do think Joe Missoula got outcoached a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I feel like the Celtics, it's one of those things where they're so good, but they still seem to have this problem. I don't know if you felt the same way. I don't know if it's actually reflecting the box score, but there just seems to be too many times, and we talked about this on our MVP rankings pod with Tatum, where it just seems like the ball doesn't end up in Tatum's hands enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you have a super team. Yeah. You, you've got, although Chris Apps didn't play yesterday, but I mean, it, it's good and bad, but when you have a, a guy like Drew Holiday, when you have a guy like Derek White, when you have a guy like Jalen Brown, all of them feel, I think, entitled by their talent which i don't think is wrong to take any shot in any situation especially like let's be honest this isn't a playoff game like Mm -hmm. i I was really interested a little side tangent i was really interested to see how deep the the rotations for all of these two these four teams that played last night would be the celtics were still playing nine players like that's not a traditional playoff rotation um but what was I talking about? We're talking about the <laughs> the coaching, you know, battle. Yeah, I, I just and I, oh, and Tatum not being able to get the ball enough. Yeah, I yeah, like. yeah. I, I I think it's just a, a matter of you know, there's a lot of ball handlers. It's not like like, and he's he's not gonna ever bring the ball up, so it's just that much harder to get him the ball. Yeah, I, I don't want to overreact to this one game at all for sure, but I think it does go back to we talked about way earlier in the season about how. You know, a lot of these top teams like the Nuggets have that killer action. And it feels like the Celtics just sometimes I kind of wish they just had that one killer Tatum action. Yeah. That's a little bit more like rinse and repeat instead of the kind of freelance offense. Because I feel like that's, I don't know, it seems like that's where they get in trouble sometimes. But I don't want to make too much of a of a knockout game. Absolutely. We don't know. You know, it felt like a playoff game, but I'm sure the actual playoffs might feel even a little bit more intense. So I want to ask you something about that, like the basic feel of this game. So of course these these the first stage of the knockout rounds are all in regular NBA arenas and it's going to be a home team for for one team. The environment in Indiana last night was absolutely electric. Like you could hear the crowd like coming through the TV really super well. Is it a mistake that they're taking these like high leverage games? away from home fans it might be i've heard that the nba is actually struggling to sell the vegas tickets and a big part of that is because people don't want to buy tickets to a game they don't know i mean obviously you know we love watching halliburton the the pelicans won last night zion is a lot of fun from time to time too but if it is like a pelicans pacers finals like there's a chance that arena is not at full capacity on championship saturday sunday saturday and i think i just feel like the whole like function of this is to like introduce fun teams to the nba and part of that is their fan base like that was just it was so much fun to watch indiana uh 
a market that really hasn't had very much playoff success in the last real really decade. Um, just celebrate and like celebrate the arrival of a star to their team. And I don't see Vegas doing that. And I don't see Indiana fans being able to travel and support their teams in that same way. Yeah, I mean, it'll also be interesting in two years, like when Vegas has a team, <laughs> what they'll do with this. So maybe it's just for the inauguration, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, obviously, I think the NBA was dreaming of a Lakers-Celtics finals. That's out the window. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the other game? Yeah, let's 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 pop over. So, so the, the oh Pelicans uh, defeated the Kings 127 to 117. The Kings got off to a pretty big early lead in the first quarter, and then it was pretty much Pelicans all the way the rest of the game. Yeah, the the Pelicans are now healthy, and I think they're looking a lot more like the team that we saw with Zion last season. What did you see from the Pelicans? Uh, I kind of just wrote down they can play up and down with the Kings, but they're bigger, they're better. Um, this game was weird. I felt like the Pelicans were up by like 10 for most of it. And it never to me felt like the Kings ever had a, this game was like weird. It was like competitive the whole time, but it also had that air of like, there's no world where the Kings win this game. Did you kind of get that same feeling? I feel like when a team plays super fast, like the Kings do, there's always like that frenetic energy that makes it feel like there's something going on. But I completely agree with yeah, you. Yeah, it kind of felt like the Kings were like, all right, we're gonna play really, really fast, get back to our identity. And the Pelicans were like, all right, cool, we'll play, we'll play fast. We can play fast. Like all of our guys are also only 21 years old. Like we've got the legs, but we're also bigger than you. And like, I don't know. I mean, we talked about this too. Like, it's some there's there's a few possessions where it felt like, you know, the Kings are like kind of getting into it, and Fox is going so fast that they can't even run a proper set because he's like in the paint, but the paint's clogged because he's not giving guys time to move out of the way. Like the Kings kind of look like like uh, really good at times, like really good offensive sets like they're known for, but also like some really messy possessions too. Yeah, really rough game for Fox. He shot 40% from the field, which has not been the story of his season. And then six turnovers to four assists. Like really disappointing. Like I was, I was really banking on that like electric Sacramento environment. But like you said, like, the Kings just weren't in this game, and I feel like the Pelicans kind of have their number. Yeah, three and over them now. I feel like the defining moment of this game and the one we're seeing over and over again is like Sabonis is guarding um, Valanciunas in the post, and then he turns around to talk to the ref while Valanciunas has the ball, and Valanciunas is like, all right, I guess I'll just score if you're not going to be paying attention to the game while you're guarding the guy with the ball. Like, I don't know, man. Sabonis, like... There's something about him, man. I just, I don't know. I don't want to say he rubs me the wrong way, but I just, I don't ever get the sense like in a huge game, like Sabonis is the guy who's going to, I don't know. Like last night, there's a lot of people like, do we have to lament the Halliburton Sabonis trade? Yes, we do. We do. It was an awful trade. It was awful in the moment. Yeah. Like the Kings having a good run with Sabonis, you know, a good season and a half with Sabonis, probably two and a half seasons now after this season doesn't overshadow the fact that they gave up Tyrese Halliburton. Absolutely. And, and like, if you hold on to Halliburton, like, and, and it, it, the fit between him and Fox really doesn't work out, which I don't see as like a realistic possibility. Like when De'Aaron Fox plays next to Malik Monk, those are probably the most electric Sacramento Kings lineups. You're telling me that it wouldn't be better if you replace Tyrese Halliburton with, or Malik Monk with Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, I mean, also, too, Fox took a huge leap 
last year that he's maintained this year. And it's like, maybe the fit was because Fox wasn't this version of Fox yet. Exactly. And, and Halliburton wasn't this version of Halliburton yet. They were so young. They're, the Kings just were not... They they weren't ready to uh, see what it was like to be an actually like functioning NBA team that drafts well yet. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to dump on the Kings too much. The Kings are still a really, really good team, but I think yes. this is just a weird matchup for them, where their big advantage over a lot of teams is like speed, stamina, and it's like when you play a Pelicans team that's just like the same team as you age wise, but just literally physically larger. It's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, like especially like with the amount of point of attack defense that the Pelicans have in Herb Jones, in Dyson Daniels. Um, in Jose Alvarado, it just it makes everything that much tougher for the Kings. And then their other huge advantage is the strength and rebounding of Sabonis. And when you throw a Jonas Valanciunas into that mix, or even a Zion, like the possession yeah. he tried to post up Zion, it just didn't really go well. And even the commentators were like, "Yeah, Sabonis can't really score on Zion. He doesn't overpower him." It was like this is just not a good look for our guy Demontis. Exactly, and I I do think like. He made Zion's life a little bit harder as well. Like we we didn't see Zion only took eight field goal attempts, two of which were threes, which was absolutely insane. Like after just taking five threes the entire season. Um, But like the Pelicans, they're just they're now healthy. They're super deep. CJ McCollum looked awesome. Yeah, CJ was great last night. And I mean, like the like bottom line of this game, I feel is when Herb Jones drops 23 points and hits three of five threes, you're probably going to lose. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The Pelicans just through and through just felt like the better team. I feel like the thing with Zion, too, was was like every time he touched the ball, it kind of felt like everyone on the defense took one step toward him. Mm -hmm. And Zion is like one of the awesome things about him coming out of college and I think is still an awesome thing about him is he's just a very unselfish player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he's, I honestly think Zion's a pretty good passer for his position, for his size. And like, I think, you know, in certain games you kind of want, all right, man, like just own it. But this is a game he didn't really have to. And I don't know. I'm not too concerned about it, but I don't know. We were joking around. I feel like Zion looks like he's gained some weight since the season started. I'm just <laughs> going to say it, man. He, he kind of looked a little heavy set out there. Chuck was going at him at halftime. I love the bit that Chuck and Shaq have that um, that Chuck brings up that Zion is their love child. Like, that's just like a 10 out of 10, like, chef's kiss bit for me. Um, you mentioned the passing, though, of New Orleans, and I did want to give a little shine. Willie Green is from, like, the Monty Williams tree of coaching, and that's all, like, .5 offense, making the right play. And last night, I felt like, the Pelicans really did that to the best of their ability. And it sh- really showed in the, their starting fives passing numbers. Zion, six assists. Brandon Ingram, six assists. CJ, seven assists. And Herb Jones, five assists. Like, that's just like a really great, like, spread out, sharing the ball. Like, I'm sure it's exactly what they wanted to see. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see the Pelicans in, in their next matchup. Yeah, I, one last thing on this game. I just wanted to touch on it. I want to give a shout out to Malik Monk. He had like two possessions in a row where he's going like full speed at the basket and made these like insane whip around passes like out to the top of the key. Like Malik Monk's taking like a lot of growth as a player. Like 
I don't know. I know I've dumped on the Kings for most of this podcast, but shout out to Malik. That was like awesome. He had two just a wild assists to kind of keep them in the game at the end there. I will double down on that. I think Malik Monk is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Yeah, he he's really improved. It's like it's one of those things where like I'm like, why did the Lakers let this guy go? He wasn't like this on the Lakers, but he also was like one of their better players during that like tumultuous like season. Yeah. Well, I mean, he wanted to go to a glamour market in Sacramento <laughs> with his buddy De'Aaron Fox. Um but um, one other thing that I was tracking, I, I said it in for the last game, both teams in this matchup had a 10-man rotation. So we are really not seeing like the playoff game rotations out of any of these in-season tournament knockout teams just yet. But I have one last question for you. For both of these games, we saw the Pelicans win and we saw the Pacers win. Who would you, if you could choose who their matchups were in the next round, who would you choose? We'll start out for the Pacers. If I'm the Pacers, I definitely want the Knicks. Yeah, and reminder, it's Bucks Knicks tonight. Um, and if I'm the Pelicans, I definitely want the Suns. And are are those like strategic choices as those teams, or are those entertainment choices for James? Those are strategic choices. <laughs> okay, I think, okay. I think, honestly, for both teams, it's a similar prognosis. I think the Pelicans, uh, one thing that they actually have struggled with is Anthony Davis since they traded him. Anthony Davis and LeBron have kind of owned the Pelicans for a mm-hmm. while now. Um, and the Pacers obviously don't want to see Giannis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even though they did win, win a game against them earlier this season, I um, totally agree. I, I think... Um, I would, if I'm the Pacers, I would rather see the Knicks. But as Patrick, I would rather see them play the Bucks. I, I want to see Giannis get through this. We already lost Jason Tatum. Halliburton's awesome, but he's no Giannis. He's no Dame. We're going to talk about the Bucks later. And then for the Pelicans, I, I need I need to see a Suns-Pelicans matchup. We we had windmill dunk gate last season when Zion just punched it through Suns fans' hearts. Um, although there is a little bit of juice, like you said, with the AD. Um, but it's more of a fan thing, exactly. And it's not New Orleans, so it it like you kind of lose that yeah. that juice. So it's also um, been it's been pretty one sided. It's been very one sided, and it's been a long time now. Like. I, I can barely even remember AD on the Pelicans. It's It's been a while. Um, all right, let's talk Milwaukee Bucks. So the reason I wanted to talk Bucks, obviously pretty much every week, Patrick, me and you deep dive into a team. Like last week we did the Magic. And I'm always looking at lineups, right? I'm looking at lineups. And every time we do these deep dives, I kept noticing the Bucks starting lineup of Damian Lillard, uh, Beasley, Middleton, Giannis, and Lopez. It's plus 9.5 after 314 possessions with 109 defensive ratings. So the whole like... National narrative about this team is they're an absolute mess on defense and this isn't actually a good team and they're flawed. And I'm like, I just don't see what the real issue is when I look at the numbers. So I was like, we need to do a deep dive on the Bucks. We need to get to the bottom of this. So here are your Milwaukee Bucks. They are 14 and 6. They're third in the East. They have an 118 offensive rating. Overall, they have 115.9 defensive rating. That's fifth and 21st, respectively, plus 2.9 net rating, which is 11th. For perspective, last year they were plus 3.5. So net rating-wise, they're pretty similar to last year. Not quite as good. Um, here's the weird thing. I went through the numbers. I went through the film. And I'm now I'm confused. <laughs> well, um, do you want to talk about their offense first or their defense first? Let me tell you just the whole book 
uh, on this Bucks team is you always hear like the classic term, like it's a make or miss league. And with this Bucks team, I have never seen more of a make or miss team. And it's in the first half and the second half. In the first half, they have it all season long. They are the 23rd rated offensive team with 106.9 offensive rating. And in the second half of games, they have the second best offensive rating of 123. And, and I was like combing over these, the, the like numbers, the splits, literally pretty much every stat is almost exactly the same in first half and second half, except for shooting percentages. They just shoot way, way better. They, they go from shooting 34% from three to 40% from three. For some reason, like this Bucks team just doesn't get up for games. And, and until the second half, and then they just go sicko mode. That that's what I found. That's the only thing that I was able to like pin down as like this is why. And even their their defensive rating is a lot better in the second half as well. And I think a lot of that comes from making shots. There's less transition opportunities. I, what what are you what are you seeing? Because that's all I could find. Well, I didn't know about the, the Jekyll and Hyde split between the halves, but I'm fo- focused obviously a lot on this kind of Lillard pick and roll. So Lillard is running the second most pick and rolls in the NBA right now. Um, and I noticed like the weird thing about the Giannis Dane pick and roll is we, we I think we all have this lasting image of that Philly game where they're running it at half court and like getting Giannis downhill. They're not doing that. They run it a lot toward the top of the key and Giannis is often catching with his back to the basket um, and then having the turn and face the basket. So I don't love like the chemistry on Giannis and Dame's pick and roll. So Damian Lillard actually only has 108 offensive rating on these plays, which is obviously way below, I believe, average. Um, I don't know. It seems like the chemistry is not quite there. I mean, it still works because once you get the Giannis the ball in isolation, because guys do double up on Dame on these pick and rolls, and Giannis is getting these one-on-one matchups. Like against the Hawks, he just kind of spun and dunked it on Capella, and you're like, yep, that's Giannis. Um but I don't know. It just feels like it's like something's a little missing. It kind of feels like the Dame Giannis pick and roll really results more in either Dame going downhill or Giannis catching it as an ISO or a post up rather than like a cohesive like lob attack pick and roll, which is I think what we all envisioned when these two linked up. Uh, weirdly enough, their offensive rating when Damian Lillard is on a handoff action is 129. Oh. So. <laughs> Damian Lillard coming off the handoff is like best maybe the best in offense history. in the NBA. Um, fun thing with them, they don't do it very often, obviously, but when Giannis is the ball handler on pick and rolls, they have 124 offensive rating. Um, they ran an inverse pick and roll with him in campaign at one of their games and it just got campaign wide open because teams are so afraid of Giannis going downhill, even when they go under these screens. And I kind of want to see a little bit more like Dame setting screens for Giannis, kind of a little bit more like Kyrie setting screens for LeBron back in Cleveland. Like, We've kind of seen it, you know, We obviously we envision this team, we envision like Dame and Giannis running down the lane and Dame lobbing it for Giannis. But really, I think maybe the better version of this is like Giannis ball handles, Dame gets an open three out of the actions. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you really found something there. Um, that is another thing that I was able to find in those first and second half splits is, of course, Dame and Giannis both rock like insanely high usage rates always. Mm-hmm. But in the second half of games, they are um, Giannis's usage rate does go up about three percent, and Dame's falls about two percent. So they are playing a little bit more 
through Giannis. And I, I do think like maybe that is the answer, like doubling down, saying like, of course, we love you, Dame. Of course, you're a point guard, but Giannis is our guy and we need to play through Giannis as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this explains away everything, but I do think one like secret sauce component to Giannis's game that is is stamina. I think it's like one of those things where when you watch an NBA game, you kind of assume all these guys are like full tilt on stamina, but clearly like Stephen Curry is probably like the best stamina athlete in the NBA. He's running around off screens. I think Giannis like probably has the best stamina for a big. Like the, his ability to just rise up for these dunks and play full tilt like the entire game. I feel like it's kind of underrated, and I think that is one of those things where it's like. In the first quarter, the other team's, like, really diligent about building the Giannis wall and, like, really being on it. But as the game progresses, like, he wears down on you, man. Like, Giannis wears down on opponents over the course of a game. You want to hear my last first and second half um, stat that I got? Mm-hmm. Giannis, in the first half of games, he has a minus five net rating. And in the second half of games, has a 14.9 <laughs> net rating. Like... A 19-point swing. And I think that totally speaks to what you're saying of, like, yes, Giannis is a, like, 1% big man, like, conditioning, like, just an incredible athlete in that way. But, I mean, I do you think it's fair to say at this point that we just need to reframe the way we think about the Bucks? Like, for so long, we've been thinking about the Bucks as this, like, defense first like of course they've had a high-powered offense but really where their bones are is on the defensive side oh well definitely this season it's flipped now i think we just need to start thinking of them as an offensive juggernaut and that's how they will dominate yeah i'm one last thing on the offense especially with lillard i mean obviously there's so much more of the offense like brooke is still an amazing three-point shooter middleton is kind of getting back in the flow but Man, Damian Lillard, like one thing that he's added to this offense more than anything, I feel like, even more than his shooting, is his he's just destroying point of attack defenders. Like in isolation, like he is just blowing by guys getting to the rim. Like you just forget how fast Damian Lillard is. Like, yeah, I mean, he's just really kind of making this offense cohesive because like no one can no one can hang with Dame. I feel like it's weird because Dame's kind of older now. He obviously started older, but he's like I feel like he's squarely in his offensive prime. Absolutely. I mean, the numbers... His finishing is insane. Yeah, the numbers for Dame have not really fallen off. Like, he's taking a few less shots and he's averaging a few less points, but he is, like, quintessential Damian Lillard right now still. So the stat that I really love about this team, and this is why I really want to dive into this team. So their most played lineup, I kind of went into it. They're really good net, but this this is the stat that I think is blowing my mind. They have 118 offensive rating in just the half court. So this is a team that does not rely on defense and transition to get them buckets. This is a team that, in a playoff setting, can come down the court and just get a good shot in the half court. And I think that's one of those like offensive stats that when we head to the playoffs, I think is a little bit more important than your overall offense because you're going to get less transition opportunities. Like, And when it comes down to these like two-point games with four minutes left and everyone's locked in, like, can you get a good shot in the half court? This team assuredly can they're pretty much the best half court offense when they play their lineup that's going to be finishing games for them absolutely and and that goes down to like making shots slowing the game down and just like doing what you do best and that's why i'm not really worried about the bucks well in a grand sense well so let's talk about the defense the defense is a little rough yeah so again they are 
21st overall in defense. Again, their most played lineup is apparently good at defense. The film does not back that up. Um, so this is a real issue they're going to have. Obviously, Dame's giving them so much on offense. Dame's screen navigation is really, really bad. Pretty much on any play involving a screen, Damian Lillard gets erased out of the play. Um, against the Hawks, first possession, basically, the Hawks just run him in some off-ball actions. And because Brook Lopez runs that drop coverage in the pick and roll, basically, Brook Lopez drops back to defend the rim. They just allow all these mid-range shots, which obviously, if you're going to allow a shot, the pull-up mid-range is what you want. But like when it's a guy like DeJounte Murray, whose bread and butter is hitting that elbow jumper, like you get torched on it. Um, the good thing for them is Dame tries. He gives a lot of effort. It's not for lack of effort, but man, like there's a couple possessions where he gets destroyed so bad on screens that DeJounte Murray like fakes using the screen, and then Damian Lillard ends up running like five feet in the wrong direction, and he's out of the play. It's like, dude... They have no point of attack defense anymore. No. Yeah. And, and it's not only Dame. It's also Malik Beasley. It's also campaign. Like these guys are soaking up almost all of their like true guard minutes and they're undersized. You know, like I, I don't think there's any scenario where you're ideally playing a six, four guy like Malik Beasley next to Damian Lillard. And they had some idea that he was going to be this like stopper, which he's never really been throughout his entire career. And it's went really poorly for them. I, I think he dies on screens just as much as Damian Lillard does. And it just makes Brooke and Giannis's job so much harder. Yeah. I mean, here's the other thing, too. I think personnel wise, like this team is big. It has length. They are really good defending these like rim sets. But Man, like Giannis, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, like are not good lateral athletes. Like even Giannis like tends to get blown by by guards quite a bit. Like Jaime Hawkes shook him really badly earlier this season. Like, well, not only that, Giannis gambles. Like yeah, Giannis gambles. I don't know, man. Like they have a couple plays where it's like they put Gian like when Giannis or Middleton's at the top too. Like guards are kind of like I can blow by Middleton and Giannis because their strength really isn't lateral movement. It's like. Even Giannis. Like, it's vertical. It's, and yeah. I think it's not just Dame 2. Like, I had to note this play. So, Trey Young's being guarded by Giannis on a switch. Trey calls for DeAndre Hunter to set, like, one of those, like, quick, like, quick fake screens. Mm -hmm. And so now Trey's being, like, kind of like, there's, like, this moment of momentary hesitation where Giannis and Middleton are both, like, kind of guarding Trey, but they're both not doing anything. And then Trey just shoots a three because both of them are just literally standing there doing nothing. And I'm like, this team has defensive issues that are a lot bigger than Damian Lillard because it's also kind of like, guys, when Trey Young shoots a three, you need to contest because it's one of those things where if Hunter's not actually setting a screen, Giannis, like, get through. Or Middleton, if Giannis isn't getting through, like, help because you're yeah. not worried about DeAndre Hunter running around. Like, I don't know. Also, schematically, the drop coverage, we've seen it have a lot of success for this team, for the Jazz when they had Gobert, but, like, Man, there's going to be a playoff game they lose because they allow like 30 Trey Young floaters. And like Trey Young's one of those guys where like you really don't want Trey Young getting into a rhythm with that shot because he will hit it over and over again. Like, well, I, not only that, think about their greatest playoff foe over the last the heat. 10 years, the Heat. I, I did think when I was watching the film um, for this episode, like they have kind of played right in to the hand that the heat beat them with in last year's playoffs. Like Jimmy is going to relish that matchup with Damian Lillard. And I think like the heat just have so many people that they can throw at Damon. Of course, great offense usually beats great defense, but when you're 
physically smaller. It, it just becomes a lot harder. Well, um, I think that going back to the Giannis like wears on you. I think that's one reason they struggled with the Heat is because Bam Adebayo is a guy you don't you don't wear on over the course of the game. Absolutely. Hey, talk about Heat culture. <laughs> the strongest, the most in shape, the, 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 the nastiest, I, the, the nastiest. nastiest. Um, if you guys just got to look up what their paint says, um, then you'll know all about heat culture. Can I say something completely like out of left field? The heat culture jerseys. I preseason, I texted James that I was just like so far out on those heat culture jerseys. I thought they were cringy. I thought like they would never win a playoff game with those jerseys on. I'm in. I don't know. <laughs> I still don't like the jerseys, but I like this Heat team. There's something cool about them, though. I don't. I just like. I don't know. There's something I like about them now. No, Seeing just, them play in it, I need the Heat to go back to the white hot playoff jerseys. I mean, that's like that's a creme de la creme jersey right there that we just don't even deserve. But yeah. I yeah. like the Miami Vice ones. I thought those ones were sick. Yeah, I mean. Miami Heat have the best branding in the NBA. Yeah. I don't think this year's jerseys oh. are quite there, but whoa, whoa, whoa! The Phoenix Suns would like to uh, put their uh, name. You guys ran the same the jersey hat. like four years in a row. The home and away jerseys always are like mid. I actually really like the ones this year. Yeah, but the alternate jerseys are always the best. Anyways, back to the Bucks. Um, yeah, back to the Bucks. Um, so this is the moment I noted. So. Two minutes, 34 seconds left in overtime versus the Bulls. Vucevic sets a screen on Lillard for Kobe White. Lillard proceeds to die on the screen. Kobe White gets him on his hip. Brooke drops to, like, kind of be there to defend the floater because they're allowing that over the course of the game. And then all of a sudden, Vuce just walks behind him and gets an open dunk. And the Bulls, without their star players, maybe better without their star players, uh, beat the Bucks. That's an inexcusable loss. But also, it's like moments like that are just like, you cannot be getting shredded by a Kobe White Vucevic pick and roll. And if you're going to get shredded by that pick and roll, like die on the pick and pop. Don't die on Vucevic rolling to the rim. Absolutely. I, so what what are the solutions? Like, do you see the stopgap solutions? It is, is it only like something that they can address by trades? I think they need to get a proper point of attack defender. Like a real proper like... Mm -hmm wing guard like someone who's in that six 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 seven range who's like really has great lateral movement who can hit just enough threes to be alive because yeah right now like guards are just guards and wings are just running wild through this defense personally i feel like it has to be like a kind of a true guard like like you said a six six guy um because like they have jay crowder like obviously he's going to be out for quite a bit but He'll be back, and and you so can throw I don't, him. I don't like the Jay Crowder though. That's actually the lineup where they're getting murdered on defense. They're, yeah, they're. I, I felt like I test the Jay Jay Crowder minutes were okay for them. I think it's the same thing where Jay Crowder laterally has just he doesn't offer you anything defensively laterally anymore, and because the offense is so much, I just you. It's like the Connaughton lineups are way better than the Crowder line. I don't think Crowder's going to help this team. I'll be honest. I I the, he can't guard guards, but he can't guard wings either. He kind of can. He can get in their way. And, like, honestly, I would trust Jay Crowder over whatever the asset, like, barren bucks are able to trade for. As far as wing defenders in the in the trade space. I, I'm not sure. I just I'm, – I'm worried about this team's ability to – like, I think if this team has a chance to be a really good playoff team because of the offense and because the offense is good in the half court, but – like, again, like, to that Heat matchup or that Celtics matchup, like, I just don't see, like, 
when the Celtics finally decide to give Tatum the ball five possessions in a row, what the Bucks are going to do about it. Yeah, I mean, that's the point where you just got to put Giannis on him. But that's the thing. I don't know if I want Giannis at the top because Giannis, like, he is susceptible to these, like, horizontal moves on offense. Mm-hmm. We've seen it a lot where, like, guys can get... Like, Austin Reeves blew by him last year. Yeah. I mean, the other option is, like, you know, I, they're not playing very much zone. So, like, just littering in, like, a little, little bit zone. of zone. Like, just throwing a bunch of looks at these super high-level offenses um, I would like to see um, Marjan Beauchamp get like a little bit more run. I, I think like he kind of pops on offense and he's got that like he's very athletic. He's got that positional size. Like maybe if you give him a little bit more run, you can get better minutes out of him than you're getting out of Malik Beasley, who is shooting well. But like that's maybe someone I would rather have coming off the bench. Yeah, it's tough because Beasley, like Dame, he he is giving a lot of effort defensively. And I do think he's been a smidge better than Dame. I think teams are yeah, kind of going out of their way to attack Dame. Because obviously, twofold benefits. The more you work him on defense, the theoretically, the worse he'll be on offense. But yeah, I guess, what do you think Like the ceiling for this team is? I'm, I'm like kind of confused with this team. Like... I think when they tighten the rotation, they're playing their most played lineup a bit more. Like, we'll see if those numbers are real or not. Obviously, we're kind of at the point in the season where the numbers probably are real. They've played over 300 possessions. That that one lineup that is apparently good defensively, like, it should stay good defensively. But I'm just a little, like, I don't see it on film. There's one more thing that we need to talk about that we haven't mentioned in this discussion. And it's that Chris Middleton is still only playing 20 minutes per game. Um, I, I think Chris Middleton is... Once he's back up to his normal minute load, I think the offense is there. The shooting's been the shooting numbers are a, a little like all over the place, but like he his stints are really weird. Like it's just not what he's used to. But I think I test like at he there are moments where he really looks like that guy. I don't think like I, I don't see him in the same light that I'm like looking at like a Clay Thompson right now. Um so I think once Chris is back in the mix, things get a lot better. But to answer your question, James, let's not make this complicated. This team, their ceiling is to win a championship. Yeah. Like, you, when you have Giannis, when you have Dame, I'm sorry. Like, it doesn't matter. We saw last season, the Nuggets had, like, the 17th best defensive rating in the league. And they steamrolled the West and won a championship. I realize they have better defensive personnel but at at the end of the day like the the bucks are those guys i think yeah so one interesting thing that i think could actually help them the rest of the regular season because i was kind of like how is the lillard Giannis staggering going so they're actually negative with lillard by himself they're plot they're positive with Giannis by himself so i said what about and i think this is where this team can really you can see them start to start like really differentiating themselves in the standings and maybe even past boston if they stagger Brooke Lopez and Lillard together, that's plus 2.2. And Giannis, with those two off the court, is plus 11 right now. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have this, like, staggering of this, those three guys that makes sense in a way where, like, if you just kind of keep Dame insulated with rim protection and then you let Giannis handle the rest of the minutes where they're not all together, like... Man, there's not a single minute where that team isn't a good offensive team. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I I did notice, and the numbers don't really bear this out, but I do think Bobby Portis might not fit as well on on this team as he has on Bucks teams in the past because he plays really well with Giannis, 
but he's not really the ideal like guy that you want um, Dame running around with. I I would want to put him with like a little bit more switchy defenders. Um, they're always running two bigs with Dame or with Giannis, Brooke, and um, Bobby. So I, I think maybe that could be a trade chip. Like I think he, he's still a valuable piece in this league. And then again, he could just be a valuable piece on this team as well. I yeah, don't know if you I, saw anything there. Uh, I did not look a lot at the Portis like lineups to see, but I think like it is tough because it seems like he's a big locker room guy for them. But it's mm-hmm. also one of those things where I do think if you trade Portis, you do lose a little bit of that. Like he is a nice scorer off the bench for them, especially in those like kind of like bench versus bench lineups. It seems like he's one of the better players out there usually. But again, like they do. But that's all they have. It's they, like you keep him. You're missing that point of attack defender. You get the point of attack defender. All of a sudden you're missing these like kind of crucial points. Yeah. There. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it is kind of tough because I know it seems like you're a little bit lower on Malik Beasley, but I think he's just fit really nice into their starting lineup offensively. So it's kind of weird, too, because they need to add the skill set. But they're also one of these teams where it's like, but who do you obviously Beasley's the guy you take out, but you, you lose something when you take him out too. My thing with Malik Beasley in the starting lineup, I love him as a six man for them. I, I like I, I think you're totally right. He's giving so much like I give a fuck energy, which I love and like obviously they need, but I just don't really see it being a tenable long-term fit having Dame. Malik Beasley and the current version of Chris Middleton in their starting lineup. Defensively. Defensively. Yeah, because offensively it's been Offensively it's awesome and it's like a house on fire. And if we're just committing to being like this super dominant offensive team and just like taking our lumps on defense, okay. But it doesn't seem like that's like the identity of this team and what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be interesting to see where the Bucks go. Again, what do you is, see as the as the Bucks ceiling? I'm I'm worried that this team is going to get shredded again by a team like the Heat or even the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, if that happens, the thing with the Celtics matchup is the Celtics just again. It's like I don't know if it's a Missoula thing, but just just keeping a note on like they don't seem to play to their strengths quite enough when it comes to like you know push comes to shove time. But yeah, if I was the Bucks, I'll be honest, man, I I'd be terrified of a Heat matchup. Yeah, I, I would much rather play the Celtics if I'm the Bucks <laughs> than the Heat. Especially because I think the Bucks can kind of lull the Celtics into just falling in love with the three. And then it's that classic Celtics thing. Like We even saw it in the Pacers game. The, the Celtics didn't shoot very well from three, and they lost. And, yeah. and that's just what happens with the Celtics. But when you get into a war with the... The Miami Heat. It's just <laughs> you don't want to. That's not a war you want to be in. It's not a war you want to be in. Absolutely not. Um, you know, a series I want because we have never gotten it during this whole era of NBA basketball. We've never gotten Sixers Bucks, and I think that would be a fun, fun series. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, there's so much. Both teams can throw so much at their at their best players. That would be a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, Damian Lillard would be in hell getting switched on to Tyrese Maxey though. Um, all right, let's head to best take, worst take. Every Tuesday, Patrick and I find the best takes and the worst takes of the week in the NBA world. At the end of the month, we crown the winner of the worst take of the month. At the end of the season, we crown the winner of the worst take of the season. Patrick, what was your best take this week? My best take was going to ringer star Kevin O'Connor. He tweeted 
a video of Aaron Nesmith's like late transition dunk with um, 45 seconds left in the game that kind of sealed the Pacers win over the Celtics and said, but will the players care though? And I just felt like it hit the nail on the head. If you didn't see that dunk, like look it up in the like background of the dunk, the entire Pacers bench just explodes. And they're like, they're like running on the court. They're going crazy. They're going everywhere. And like, that's like what Kevin O'Connor said, I think just is like really perfect because like, these guys are super competitive. Of course, once you got down to it, they were really going to give a shit. And I just really felt like he said it perfectly there. Who did you have for your best take of the week, James? Patrick, I really struggled to find a best take this week. It was um, tough. It was tough. There wasn't a lot of takes being thrown around. Not a lot of NBA games, obviously, with everything going on. So I got PJ Tucker. Okay. Who just said, quote, there's not enough basketballs on the planet for this team. And I feel like, you know, the whole, like, there's only one ball thing that old heads like to say, if there was ever a team it applied for, it's this Clippers team who's starting to play a little bit better. Still, you know, under 500. Yeah. Um, yeah. PJ Tucker, also kind of a funny quote because he's gone scoreless in like eight straight games. Uh, so <laughs> clearly there's not enough basketballs in the world for this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, PJ. I, I, not that I feel like if he got the ball more, he wouldn't even want to shoot it. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's a pretty good take and a ballsy take. When do you ever hear a guy talking about his own team saying like, yeah, we just, everybody's ego's way too big. Sorry. We, we can't, we, we can't share the ball like that. Yeah. I mean, I think he was saying it in more of a joking manner. I didn't hear the audio, but he's a good locker room guy. I would assume he's not like, bro, Jesus Christ. These guys are ball. Hey. <laughs> the quote lives online. <laughs> And so that it could be interpreted in any way. Uh, who is your worst take? My worst take is going to Eddie Gonzalez. If you don't know Eddie Gonzalez, he's the co-host on ETC, Kevin Durant's podcast, as well as he's, I think he's on the that FanDuel show with Shams in the morning. But yesterday, he tweeted, Derek White is greater sign, greater sign, greater sign. Then Tyrese Halliburton, if I want to win basketball games that matter. So basically saying Derek White is better than Tyrese Halliburton. And that is just an objectively awful take, especially to make yesterday on National Tyrese Halliburton Day of all days. That is an awful take. It's an awful take. That a couple in Devin Booker's like younger years, there, I can't remember who tweeted it now, but a big like um, basketball writer tweeted that Danny Green was better than Devin Booker. Oh, I think it was Nate Duncan. Um, and there's very That's much idiotic. like of that like ilk. Like I get like winning basketball players are awesome. And Derek White does just about everything good. But Tyrese Halliburton does a few things better than Derek White could ever dream of doing. And that's passing, running an offense, shooting. shooting. Like Tyrese Halliburton is like a legitimate star in this league. Like, how many wins do the Pacers have right now? If you just swap them one for one, oh, way less. Like four. I I just like I I don't know I don't I don't I don't get the whole I I don't know man. There's just some of these some of these like role player better than star tick, but like 
you're on this. How many NBA podcasts is Nate Duncan on and this other guy is on? And they, they're saying Derek White is better than Tyrese Halliburton. I know. It's insane. I mean, Nate Duncan didn't say that. Let me say that. Um, he said he the said, Danny Green, Devin Booker thing like 10 years ago. But um, yeah, isn't that insane? <laughs> Real right. Hoopers, no. Real Hoopers, no. <laughs> Real Hoopers have the worst takes. Uh, so Patrick, I really wanted to give me and you the worst take. Oh, there we go. But I'm not going to. But I have uh, to I have to give us the, the negative shout out. Uh, speaking of dumb NBA podcasters. Get, what was our L? Our L was saying the Celtics and Kings will win their knockout round games. We went 0 for 2. <laughs> We're 0 for 2, baby. We're 0 for 2. So i got to hold ourselves accountable, too. Can't just call other people out. But I've been waiting forever to give this guy the worst take. He's been demanding it. Uh, he's probably the worst taker of all time. The crown king of bad takes. It's Skip Bayless. There we go. Uh, Skip Bayless <laughs> said, quote, nobody ever called Michael Jordan a bitch. Now, the reason why this is a bad take is he had two former pro athletes on the show with him who both immediately said 100% somebody called him a bitch. Then he insinuated LeBron was a bitch because he was called one um, because, quote, he, you know, he seems like a nice guy. That was the rationale. Um, Skip Bayless has probably never – I mean, I guess he did play high school basketball. I know his stats weren't great, but he played, right? He was on the court at times. Yeah. He definitely heard what was said on the court. You know there's a lot of trash talk in an NBA game. And then when two other pro athletes are telling you, like, hey, man, he's yeah. definitely been called that. We would know. We played pro sports. I'm going to be honest. I saw this take, and I knew that I had to steer clear because you would be all over it. <laughs> <laughs> An absolutely awful take from Skip Bayless. And – He's at this point, I feel like it's just the bit. It's just for the bit. Cause like, what are you talking about? Of course people were calling Michael Jordan a bitch. And after that, Michael Jordan cut their throats out. And yeah, that's what Michael Jordan does. What other people do to Jordan takes nothing away from Michael Jordan. Yeah. He can't control what other people says. And like, Skip Bayless, why don't you go online and see the um mixtapes of LeBron James destroying Ime Udoka <laughs> throughout their <laughs> careers. careers because, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit more behind it than just like this random game in December. Um, yeah, just a terrible take. So are, are, so what is the worst take that is it Skip Bayless or is it uh, was it Eddie Gonzalez? You said Eddie Gonzalez. Max, what are you thinking? I mean, I hate Skip so much. Like, I want to give it to him for the week if, yeah, it's, my, if it's my call. It's Skip, he needs to be on this list. Yeah, it's just it's just dumb, man. I feel like every NBA player, every single one of them has been called every single bad word at yeah. some point during a season. All right, I'm in. I'm in to give it to Skip. Skip has finally been crowned the worst take. There you go, Skip. Congratulations, man. We're really happy for you. <laughs> So I got one. You, you saw the video, right? When his I, face, they're like, "Why do you think LeBron's a bitch?" He was like, "Well, he's a nice guy." Like, I don't know. His yeah. face of like, "I know I'm making a straw man argument," was just ugh. Um, I've got one more question for you. Yeah. Did you see Chuck's guarantee? What was I? He guaranteed the Celtics were going to win, right or no? Yes, Chuck Charles Barkley guaranteed that the Celtics are going to win the championship yesterday at halftime of <laughs> the Celtics-Pacers game. Are, are the Celtics done? They That's true. The Celtics probably would have won the championship had Chuck not 
Guaranteed. Um, well, I love you, Chuck. <laughs> I love you, like, Chuck. I feel like that is just like a but death knell. Do you feel like Chuck knows the guarantee is like a death wish? So now he he makes it seem like it's a guarantee, but in the back of his head, Chuck knows that he's cursed them. I hope Chuck's playing that 4D chess, but it, it seems like way too deep. Um, for I feel like just Charles Barkley is just such like an upfront and honest guy that... He he probably really feels There's that no, way. There's no like nefarious intention. But as a Suns fan, I hope he's putting voodoo on the Celtics just just to do it. Um. Anyways, you got anything else, my man? Uh, no. I'm excited for Lakers Suns tonight. Obviously, it's a big game for you. Um, huge, huge. You know, if the Suns win, they get to be talked about on the podcast again. If they lose, they're banished to the shadow realm Ugh. until Bradley Beal comes back. <laughs> Bradley Beal already out of the running for awards because he's missed that many games so far. Wow. Wow. Do you guys want to make predictions on the games tonight? Like, who's going to get the dubs? Oh, I mean, we already picked the. I picked the Lakers. You picked the Suns. Are you feeling any different about anything after we saw just the vibes of? I mean, there's like Lakers. There's some Lakers discontent, but I don't know. I, I I'm I'm well now that the Kings have lost. Oh man, I'm feeling a little Lakers. They are the greatest in season tournament team of all time. That's true, and they do. They would own have the number Vegas. one overall seed. They they do own Vegas. That's where that's where Magic Johnson's first ever Lakers game was in in Las Vegas. But if no. the Lakers win the tournament but continue to be like a slightly above five hundred <laughs> team the rest of the season, it is going to be it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be fun. Um, I don't know. No, I I'm like sticking I'm... with my I'm sticking with my picks. I picked the uh, I picked the Bucks and the, and the Suns to make the finals, and I'm I'm sticking with my guys. We're gonna have a 2021 NBA Finals rematch for the NBA Cup. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, I guess that's the other thing. The beautiful trophies. Yeah, they're gorgeous. They're they're so nice. Tiffany comes through once again. Do you think the I think the courts are gonna be black and gold. That's that's my big prediction. I don't want a black court. They they're. Just, I still don't. Like the King's Court was hideous. The yeah, gray yeah. was ugly. Such a missed opportunity for a beam. Like yeah. I realized that those jerseys were blue, and it's like the throwback. Which I actually, those are one of the better city jerseys that we have this year. But you've got a straight line going across a court at the Beam Town for the Beam Team. What's going on? I hope it's a normal court. I'm not going to lie. I don't really like the in-season courts. I hate them. I, I've decided they're too much. They're too loud. The red ones and the blue ones are just, they're hard to look at. Yeah, like they the hurt my one, eyes to look at. The Pacers one is pretty atrocious. Oh, no. I, I'm all in on the Pacers <laughs> really? one. Really? I don't know. Um, you guys are haters. No, but <laughs> I, I guarantee you guys, the in-season tournament courts in Vegas are going to be insane they better be they better be cool i will i'm gonna give one final shout out because we won't see these two teams again i've already complained about them but they're so bad the nuggets and the heat the two nba finals teams if you run those courts back ever again <laughs> we are going to have problems they're gonna give people the, high strain the heat one was really bad the nuggets one is really bad dark yeah. blue and black don't go together at all yeah that is like <laughs> a classic fashion faux pas yeah. All right. We, we're we're going off the rails. We, we had a whole Suns Heat jersey discussion halfway through Bucks ratings talk. So we'll see you guys on Friday, hopefully after a, a fun Bucks win and a, a good Lakers Suns game. Peace.